0: Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got healthcare already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied
1: with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the
0: United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America. Great again. We
2: shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what
3: you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll free at 844 900 Buck. That's 844 900 2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton.
4: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. we got a lot to talk about today, as always. Uh, just some breaking news for you as we go uh, to the airwaves here. There is this shooting at YouTube, uh, at YouTube headquarters, out on the West Coast, in California. And so far, from uh, what we're seeing, it is a female suspect who was... Uh, who is now dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So she committed suicide, but not before she shot four people. None of them, based on the reporting so far, fatally. Uh, but so far, uh, law enforcement sources, they held a press conference right before we went on the air. They're saying they believe this was a female targeting her boyfriend, perhaps an, uh, perhaps an ex-boyfriend. I don't know if this would be qualified as a uh, a possible what what would have been called years ago at least a crime of passion I, we we don't have those details we just know female shooter she is dead shot four people they are at the hospital but police said that they are uh, being treated for their wounds and they are expected to be okay and that's all we have so uh, you can imagine though shooting at YouTube all all of the the wheel started turning in everyone's minds. Oh my gosh, this is think. Not only is this a, a way to seize a tremendous amount of attention because of the the high profile of YouTube, there could also be some messaging here about you know attacking the platforms that are spreading other messages. And it, everyone was very spun up right from the get go. But it, it looks like this is just uh, a, you know a terrible situation. But o- only the shooter. Is dead. So that's the, the good news, as much as you can say there's any good news in a situation like this. Uh, nobody else has been killed. And it's certainly nothing along the lines in terms of casualties and, and, and the, uh, the horror that we have seen in, well, some weeks back. Uh, this is a, ver- a, a very different situation. Police have the whole campus, the YouTube campus, on lockdown, and they're going to be giving us updates. If we have anything beyond that, anything new throughout the course of the show, uh, we'll certainly tell you on air what we've got, but for now, it's a woman who went after a boyfriend. Not even clear if I, I don't know. Producer Mike, did did we know if she was even trying to hit other people, or did she just did she draw down on her boyfriend and and hit bystanders? It doesn't. That, that's the one thing I would want to know because why would she? You know, if it was about her boyfriend, why is she shooting other people? I mean, maybe he was in a he was at a party, right? Yeah, the first report was there. It happened at a party at YouTube. Uh,
5: so the, she might have she might have just essentially snapped
4: or so. gone after him, pulled out a weapon in a, in a crowded space, and just started firing, hit him and some other people. It, do, it doesn't seem like this was a uh, a premeditated mass shooter scenario where somebody was trying to just commit you know mass casualties and plan it all out like what we've seen. You know, she didn't come in with a a rifle. Two bags of, of magazines, you know, pipe bombs and a flak vest on. And she she came after her boyfriend, from what we know. So if I have any more on this for you, we'll let you know. But for now, because it, it, it was it was dominating the news cycle for the hour before we went on the air, because everyone assumed shooting, but we don't have much more on that. So let's get into the the, the, uh, the other big news of the day, or the the continuing uh, story that we're following very closely here, and and that has to do with the uh, the immigration. Uh, showdown that's happening, or the illegal immigration showdown that's happening, uh, you have this caravan of people which was estimated a little over a 1,000 people. They've walked hundreds of miles from Central America on their way to the United States through Mexico. And as I pointed out to you, Mexican government, at least I- until today, was letting them walk through. Even though Mexico enforces its own borders and, and has immigration laws, that it has no compunction about following through on. It is trying to, or it is doing, it was doing nothing, and now we have a situation where it looks like that may have changed. Uh, But here's what the president said earlier today on this caravan of illegals, although it's interesting, they're really asylum seekers, because technically, we're going to get into this, and we've got an expert in immigration law joining us later on to discuss, but technically they're, it's, it's a caravan of asylum seekers. That's what you'd call it. Uh, here's what Trump said about it, though.
0: Now, the caravan doesn't irritate me. The caravan makes me very sad that this can happen to the United States, where you have thousands of people that decide to just walk into our country and we don't have any laws that can protect it. And the wall, because of the Democrats, has been delayed, but uh, it's very sad to see it. And it's sad even from both sides. It's sad for the people in the caravan, and it's sad for the people of the United States. It's really sad that we don't have laws that say we have a border, and if you don't do it legally, you can't come into the United States. To me, that's a very sad thing for the people of the United States. As I was saying, I mean, the president's
4: correct in, uh, he's not, how do I put that? I'm trying to think of how to, how to say this. His hearts are in the right place on this one. Or he's correct in substance, but not in the specifics. There you go. Meaning that it is crazy that this is what the law currently is for migrants from Central America. They can just show up and claim asylum. But that is the law. That the Republican-controlled Congress has done nothing to change that is just... I mean, how much more frustration can we manage before we just decide why do we why do we even waste our time right what's the point of voting for republicans if this is the situation we're going to be in i mean there's only so much that the president won't be able will be able to do i I would note that it's not just trump who is obviously people like me a lot of folks are opposed to this situation of the migrants approaching the border, but. Even libertarian Rand Paul had to weigh in earlier. The 1,100
0: people that are marching up through Mexico should be stopped at the border and they should be sent back. We should not allow people to come into our country and break the laws. I'm all for legal immigration. Immigrants are, by and large, good people and have added to our country. We're a nation of immigrants, but we should not allow people, particularly 1,100 of them, marching up. To basically sort of thumb their nose and right. say well we don't care what your laws are we're coming they should be stopped at the border and sent home if it requires a change of law we should do it but i think there is some leeway within the executive branch that they may well be able to do this if they want to <sighs>
4: isn't it is it fascinating that you've got someone from the legislative branch who's like i mean you know we might do something trump might do something we got to kind of see you know not too hot not too cold just right here you know." Which is it? Who's really in charge? Who's supposed to be making the call here about what to do? And I think there's a huge opportunity that's being missed right now uh, by everyone who is on the side of the administration. I, I think there's a big opportunity that's being missed, and it is Democrats should be asked one after another, what do you think about this? I mean, they should be pushing as many Democrats as they can to answer, you know, whatever it is, if it's the Walking, uh, walking around as a reporter on Capitol Hill, and you know, you know, Mister Spe- Mr. Schumer, you know, or Senator Schumer, or whatever, you know, Congresswoman Pelosi. What do you think? Uh, I think that all twelve hundred are the fabric of America, and they'll do the jobs that Americans won't do. Uh, that that is good to get on the record. Uh, that Democrats are really complicit, and in fact favor massive foreign and what's the, what's the right word i mean you know people are saying invasion that's a bit strong right invasion implies military but you know massive foreign intrusion into uh, us sovereignty time and again is too much remember this is not the only instance of this this is just one that we're all aware of and it's created something of a of a political showdown but there were i i I forget i think the number of uh of youth border crossings in the last year has actually been pretty high and we're we're seeing a surge in people trying to get across the border and this is where i have to say we've seen the administration trying to negotiate on some of these points with the democrats we do cross over we do cross over into territory where Republicans have to act here. They, they can't just say, well, we couldn't get a deal with the Democrats. Well, you know, we couldn't get a deal with the Democrats. No, it has to be it has to be more than that. Because we voted in a Republican Congress, Republican uh, House and Senate, and we have a Republican president. So they've got to be able to do something here. But the dirty little secret of the Democrat Party is they favor all this stuff. They're all all about it. All about it. They think that this is a great idea. The more uh, impoverished immigrants, legal and illegal, from the third world, the better. And all of your faculties of reason tell you that that's probably not a good idea for the economy, for the welfare of this country going forward, for our political cohesion. That There is something about being American. It's not just, you know, you show up and... You can do things that you want to do. You can be a part of the economy here. There's something it's supposed to be more than that. And Democrats largely reject that. So that's what we see happening here. right now with this uh, caravan, which, by the way, they have, I believe. uh, Mexican authorities have said that they. Are stopping them now, right, because of Trump. But, yeah, we'll see and we'll see how long that lasts and we'll see where all this goes. Uh, Trump has claimed credit for the sidelining of this caravan in Mexico, but we'll see um, if this, in fact, is uh, going to go away or not. My guess is no. My guess is they will arrive at the, at the border, and know then we'll start talking about, okay, well, where do all these migrants end up going? Where do they show up? You won't hear the stories about the migrants who are entering communities or there have already been migrants from Central America uh, placed, and they become part of MS-13. That's been happening all over the country for a few years now. You won't hear those stories. So we'll have to keep following this one. The, the media has done everything in its power to suppress the truth about the opioid epidemic and its ties to Mexico and the drug cartels. As you know, we've been discussing here with Frequency, doing everything in their power to suppress the truth about. Those who come into this country claiming asylum and then go on to become criminals, members of gangs. The youth crossings, unaccompanied youth that were crossing the border, many of them are um, much older than they say they are. They provide no documentation. And that's how we end up having 19 year olds in the ninth grade in some of these high schools who speak not a word of English. That doesn't really help us, does it? That's not a good thing for us, for America. Just saying. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Talk a bit more about the uh, immigration situation. Also, we've got updates on the Mueller probe coming up later on. Some follow-up to the, the media's spat with Sinclair. Oh, they're so upset about it. And they are just... In high dudgeon about the whole thing, we'll get into that and uh, and, a, and a whole lot more. We've also got an expert joining us on the specifics of immigration law later on in the show. Oh, and Christian privilege is now a thing that they're teaching people in school. That they're making sure we get rid of crusaders as mascots too. Don't forget that. But we've got a lot more to talk about, don't we? Christian privilege—that'll probably be an hour too. That's gonna get me fired up. Uh, our team hit a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Now, the caravan, which is uh, over a thousand people coming in from Honduras, thought they were going to just walk right through Mexico and right through the border. As you know, NAFTA' is a phenomenal deal for Mexico. It's been a horrible deal for the United States. We're renegotiating it now. And I told Mexico yesterday that, Because of the fact that their laws are so strong, they can do things about it that hard to believe the United States can't. I said, I hope you're going to tell that caravan not to get up to the border. And I think they're doing that because as of 12 minutes ago, it was all being broken up. We'll see what happens. I know I've
4: mentioned it before, but I think Mexico will actually use lethal force for people to try to legally cross its border to the south. So they have very strict border control. Larry in Ohio, what do you think about all this? Enjoy your show. Thank you, Larry. Enjoy hearing from you. What's up?
2: Called you a couple months ago, and I wrote uh, President Trump to forget that damn wall and put military personnel down there to guard our southern border.
4: Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get into that discussion.
2: I finally heard out of the, uh, President Trump that he's, well, thinking about it. Another thing, put the pressure on Mexico. Stop all commerce between Mexico and the United States. Bill Ford wants to build Fords in Mexico. I hope he's got a good market for him, because he won't be shipping any to the United States. And also stop, hit them in the belly with finance. No, if, finance, if we were to
4: tax the remittances, no, that would certainly no have a, a big impact, a big effect. It's one of the ways people have have talked about possibly paying for the wall. By the way, remittances from Mexico—I mean, from the U.S. to Mexico each year—in are in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty billion dollars. That's just money leaving the U.S. economy going to Mexico.
2: Stop all mail, per, uh, mail from going to Mexico because the illegals in here are sending billions of dollars back home to their families stop postal commerce
4: Alright, well Larry wants a lockdown. Larry, thank you for calling my friend I do appreciate hearing from you. Larry's like no more commerce, no more mail Jason in Destin, Florida he's also got immigration thoughts. Hey Jason Hey Buck, how's it going man? It's Alright, thanks for your call yeah, I was talking to the, uh, the guy that answered
1: the phone there uh, about uh, sending all the uh, the uh, immigrants over to California because they're more than welcoming them over there and pretty much give them everything, everything they want. And um, But the bigger issue that I'm sitting here thinking about it, and uh, we look back, what we're doing is kind of, I don't want to kind of be a harbinger or anything, but, but – Past administrations, especially Democrats, because both sides have been involved in doing it, but, but we've been messing around with other countries for, for decades and messing around with other, overthrowing other people, uh, dictators and such. Uh, Libya, Gaddafi, Hillary and uh, Obama overthrew Gaddafi, and that's why uh, Italy's shores were just pounded with immigrants all across from across the Mediterranean. Uh, they lost 800 people died in a in a boat trying to cross the Mediterranean to get to Italy um after that they overthrew Gaddafi. they overthrew um they did the same thing in haiti bill clinton did the same thing with the haiti so i
4: i need i need a way to tie this all together jason what are you trying to tell me
1: well people are coming up here trying to seek asylum from south and central america where they're starving to death not saying we had a you know the absolute hand in it but democrats obama and hillary and bill clinton and so forth even Bush, they didn't help you
4: know, now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I see a, an intentional blowback situation here, Jason, but I'll, I, I will give it some more thought about that. I appreciate you calling in. We are going to talk more about uh, the military getting sent down to the border. And then uh, later on in the show, we'll have someone from the an expert, uh, our friend Art Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies joining. And then we'll talk about all the other things, too. That's all coming up.
3: He's holding the line for America.
0: Buck Sexton is back. So for the dreamers,
6: they have two options. One is to wait for the courts to rule on this. The other one is what they what they already call plan B. And plan B is to wait until 2020 and to see if Donald Trump is going to be reelected or not. But for many of them, Donald Trump is not an option right now. And, you know, the, the real wall right now on immigration He's called Donald Trump. Trump is the wall.
4: Jorge Ramos, one of the most uh, prominent, uh, one of the most prominent spokespersons out there for illegal immigration, and, and is really a, is, is kind of a, a nationalist in exile, right? I mean, he's very much in favor all the time of immigration from Latin America into America as someone who is himself Latin American. Though he lives in America, I think he may have actually moved recently back or he's thinking about moving back. Uh, I saw some story about that. But doesn't advocate for this for, you know, for other immigrants. It's, it's always just Latino immigrants, which I think is interesting. Why, why do we have that distinction? Um, but then again, we also are not allowed to ask these questions. You, know, the, the, you, you start to really get into the underlying themes here and, and you do analysis beyond just the headlines and, and you might run into some trouble. I saw on one of the shows on Fox one of the guests recently brought up a uh, brought up a book that I've actually read, and it is it is considered a uh, it is a highly politically incorrect book. We could say that it's called the The Camp of the Saints by Jean Raspail, written back in the seventies. The basic premise of the book is that uh, Western civilization or or Europe, in this case. France, specifically, becomes overrun by huge, uh, a huge wave, literally on, on enormous uh, oil tankers and cargo ships. Uh, but a huge wave, a, a flotilla of, like of at the time, I think it was either hundreds of thousands or millions of people from the Indian subcontinent. And, you know, the, the, the book is, there's a lot of things that are said that people say are racist, and, you know, the author, and it's popular among white nationalists, of course. so, But many of the arguments... Um I think Stein was Stein brought it up on Fox a couple of days ago. He just he just mentioned the book. I didn't even see the interview. I just saw the headline on it. Uh but many of the arguments you hear from the different sides in it is interesting because they mirror the discussions that are had currently about you know the is, is there going to be an impact on the culture? Oh, how could you ask such a thing? That's so racist to even ask such a thing. Uh so it's as I said to you, um it's interesting to read the book whether you think it's uh, you know, ter- whether you think it's terrible and racist or not, it's still you should be familiar with with the uh, some of the arguments. It's written in, as a novel, but people say that there's a a degree of, um, you know, foresight as to the clash of civilizations between the rest, uh, the West and the rest in it. Um, but the one of the issues you're never allowed to talk about is the and then putting aside that that book and everything else that comes with it uh, is just the clash of cultures. At what point are we overwhelming our ability to assimilate? Uh, at what point do we have we taken in too many immigrants? Is there such a thing? I mean all immigrants, legal and illegal, at one time. is Can there be a number that's too high? Right now we're taking in a million a year. Or we are permanently legalizing a million people a year. It's a lot. I know America's got about 320 million people living here, but still a million a year is a pretty heavy number. And overwhelmingly, the... Each year, the new people that become permanent uh, permanent residents of the United States are the family members of immigrants because of chain migration. So this is the effect. This is what's happening here, and there's also uh, an, another component of this that I think doesn't get very much attention, and that is from uh, that is from the fact that there is something different about a contiguous landmass to our own being the country that is responsible for a massive part of immigration over the last 30 years in fact the majority of all immigration to this country comes from one country and it is mexico and when you have people like jorge ramos who are saying that there will be electoral ramifications in this country for our refusal to allow lawlessness primarily facilitated by our next door neighbor Another country, in this case, Mexico, uh, this is a a unique problem set we are dealing with. This is something uh, different than the immigration we deal with with other countries. Uh, You know, there's also a history here that we never really get to talk about, a history of the U.S. fighting a war with Mexico, the sense of Mexico having lost territory— there are groups that still talk about a a reconquista, a, a reconquest of lost territory, um, and but a reconquista via political means, right? Via a, a in a sense, political conquest. I mean, this is very you have to take these things somewhat seriously when you look at the demographic realities of what's happening in a place like California, where this is now what the rest of the country is is going to be uh, dealing with if we don't start to change our immigration policies. Where you have people who have a uh, a political block that is strong enough that they make demands of the government not to enforce the law against certain communities well that's an interesting phenomenon isn't it uh, and and that's what's been happening in in California so you know i i i look at this and i think to myself It's time for the Trump administration to really lay it all down, lay it on the line, and and make the case. And and then there's what can be done in the meantime. Uh, The president spoke about sending the military to uh, the border.
0: We have very bad laws for our border. And we are going to be doing some things. I've been speaking with General Mattis. We're gonna be doing things militarily until we can have a wall and proper security, we're gonna be guarding our border with the military. That's a big step. We really haven't done that before, or certainly not very much before.
4: Trump sending the military to the border to help out, to do what he can uh, to try and prevent further illegal immigration to the country. But I mentioned before I I, I may have been off with Uh, the the, whether they're willing to use lethal force at the mexico guatemala border but there are military outposts there uh, permanently and there are are some fenced areas too just interesting isn't it you know the moment that an american talks about offense and military at our border you will hear people like jorge ramos say that that's racist it's vile it's xenophobic it's terrible meanwhile mexico has military installations enforcing a border, you know, armed personnel enforcing a border that also has fencing, although not particularly good uh, fencing, on their border with with Guatemala. Uh, so, you know, th- this is the central, the central issue of the Trump. It was a central issue of the Trump campaign. It is also central to the administration's uh, chances, I think, of retaining. Republican majorities in the House and the Senate, because if we lose on this, as I keep saying, we lose on everything else. And that's why Democrats have become so irrational and unreasonable when it comes to immigration. That's what I see happening here. 844 You got some thoughts on this. We uh, are going to talk about Christian privilege coming up in the next hour. That'll be interesting. That's what they're teaching people in college now. First, it was white privilege. Now it's Christian privilege. And and there's, of course, male privilege, too, but that's hashtag the patriarchy. This is what people learn in school now. That's why we have a trillion-dollar student loan debt that's never going to get paid off. No one's learning anything particularly useful in a lot of these disciplines. Um, But that will be coming up in the next hour. And uh, also, any of your thoughts, let me know what's on your mind. We'll hit that and more. We'll be right back. Do we have uh, Trump with the, what was he, with the Latvian minister other day, And he was just like, don't call them, they're fake. We, have, we should get that for that was fun. I, I saw that today. I said, don't call an American, don't call that American news station, call on your Latvian station because we got fake news here. Look, I've said this to people too, you know, even on my most, the, the days I'm the most frustrated, not just, when I say frustrated with the administration, I'm frustrated for the American people. I just want good things to happen in this country. Even for the crazy libs who won't appreciate it and don't understand it and won't be thankful for it. I just want good things to happen for this country. Uh, But even on my worst day where I feel like things aren't going the way they should for the administration, I'm like, Trump is the most entertaining politician I I think ever. I think it's probably fair to say he's the most entertaining politician in this country. I mean, how could you compare him to, uh, you know, 100 years ago? Who knows? But it's pretty amazing when you think about it uh brian has got some thoughts for me up in north carolina or down in north carolina hey brian hey how are you sir i'm good thank you for your call okay i lo- I love your show thank
6: you and you know i love listening to you all the concerns. i feel, I feel a
4: butt here. coming here brian go ahead
6: okay but i wanted to make something clear earlier and and i don't mean to differ with your college education which college educated which i am too but you said it, this, you said you were scared to say it was an invasion.
4: I, I didn't say I was scared. I said I'm not sure that's entirely the most accurate well, way to say it.
6: Well, the the only thing, the only point I'd like to bring out, I think it is a it, it is an invasion. It's not a military invasion, but it's a political financial invasion. They're they're doing it in a different way, and if you look back through the history. World history, which I know you study, but if you look back through that, the, the Spaniards, which Mexico is from, from you know, they're from Spanish descent. Right, they, oh, they were they colonized. Were, yeah, they were conquerors.
4: Yeah, conquistadors you know, like we're, Cortez. We're being,
6: yeah, we're being conquered, and we just need to realize that we need to just change our sense and realize it's not political because Mexico has no means to do that against us. But and it, it's true. I've worked. I'm a registered nurse, and I have to take people. I'm not a racist person. I have to take care of people all, all races, all sex. You know, it doesn't matter. I just, you know, I, I'll save their life just as quick as I'll save anybody else's because that's a whole other issue. But what I what I look at, I mean, and I've worked. I I was actually before that, I was self employed, and I have I have worked people of, of Mexican descent and they were two of the best workers I've ever had but they came in gave us an illegal social security number and we, we started taking taxes out where we started getting
4: yeah well, you know Brian stuff. people when I when I talk about the policies involved here I I have no problem or animosity with any individual illegal immigrant you know what I mean it, it's I, I, I don't either
6: and, and we even one of the boys was young. He was twenty some years old. I'm forty nine. He was a lot younger than me. But me and my dad, who was in business together, agreed to sponsor him. And I told him, I said, I don't have a problem with you coming to this country. Just do it legal. Just do it the right way. You know, pay pay the taxes like all of us do because we don't like paying taxes either. We're overtaxed to death. But I said. You know, it, it's still. I, I say that all the
4: time, Brian. Right? Like, if someone told me they weren't paying their taxes, I wouldn't dislike that person. I, I wouldn't even. Right. I wouldn't even necessarily think less of that person. I just say, well, you're probably in trouble, and uh, they're going to come after <laughs> yeah. you. And I can't say that I don't understand why. Right? I, I have a feeling. Yeah,
6: yeah. So you know, I'll just. say But I think it is. It's a slow invasion, and if we don't recognize it as that, and you know, I support Trump. Yeah,
4: no. He. I he, hear you, Brian. He, I, I, look. Gone. I appreciate your call, my friend, and your thoughts. We, we've got a, a bunch of lines left, though, so I'll have to leave it there with you for now. But thank you, sir. Uh, Chris in Burlington, North Carolina. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, how's it going, Buck?
4: It's good. Thank you for your ring.
1: Uh, yes, sir. The the question I had there, I guess, kind of question or comment of. Couldn't figure out what your thoughts on it would be, but there's like a point, you know, history. I think me and the guy on the phone before we're talking about from like 1921 to like 1965, where there was absolutely no immigration. Yeah, they shut immigration down. Yeah, to give folks, you know, time to assimilate, become an American, everything like that. What are your thoughts on if that could happen, or would, or if and when it will happen? Do you think that's, like, a possibility of things that could happen, or you think that's just out of the window to the left?
2: I think we're like a that? long
4: way away from that when the Democrat Party is effectively a party that wants uh, de facto or, or, or cl- as close to open borders as possible, right? They want nearly unrestricted immigration. They just want to be able to count their future voters as they come into the country. That's really the idea. So we're a long way away from being able to really shut down em- immigration, legal and illegal in this country. And look, I-, I would never want there to be a complete shutdown on immigration. I just want our immigration policy to turn into, you know, we, we are compiling uh, the, the A-team from around the world. What do we need more of in this country? Do we need more astrophysicists? Do we need more primary care physicians? Do we need more you know, you name it. Right. Whatever it is that we need more of in this country or whatever standards we want to set for immigrants, we should put them in place. We should enforce them and then have an actual policy discussion about how what what the numbers are that we need and then just go about it that way. I mean, America should treat our immigration policy the way a corporation treats its hiring. You want to get the best Absolutely. people, the people that you are going to that are going to be contribute the most, the fastest, with the least amount of, you know, additional or excessive support. And and that doesn't make us Canada does this. Australia does this. Other countries do this. And there are countries, by the way, that also just don't really take, you know, Japan just doesn't take immigrants. And by the way, that's a yeah, huge absolutely. problem for Japan. Yeah, and yeah. the country's yeah, they, in a stage of got, slow die off because they today. don't I'm sorry, we didn't mean to cross talk. What do you say, Chris? I
1: said, Well, I mean, you think like Japan, they're probably thinking about like, hey, we have enough folks as it is. no
4: they don't oh no (laughs) japan no no quite the contrary japan is actually aging out uh and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that but uh, japan is facing huge uh economic dislocations going forward because they just don't have enough people to support their there are whole villages and and towns in japan right now that people say feel and look i haven't been i just read about it a lot uh that feel like retirement communities because there are no young people, because no, they they haven't been able to replace. uh, They don't have a, you know, it's essentially replacement level childbearing. Uh, They haven't been doing that for for decades now, but Chris, I appreciate you calling from North Carolina. We got to run into get ready for a break here coming up. Oh yeah. Demographics in Asia are fascinating. Uh, India has, Far too many people for its infrastructure and its economy, which is going to cause all kinds of problems. China, because the horrific one-child policy, has 30 million too many males, uh, because males were more highly prized for economic reasons under the one-child policy. Uh, And Japan has too few people, and South Korea is actually not that far behind. They're not having enough babies, and you need people, actually, for an economy. So they're trying to turn to mechanization and, and robotics in robotics, more specifically in Japan, to make up for the shortfall. So they got big problems in that part of the world because of demographics. All right, we got a lot more coming up, including Christian privilege. Is that a thing? We'll discuss. He's back
3: with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
4: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. We have uh, the news that broke just before we came on air, and it uh, talked We talked about it in the last hour. Um, that is this uh, shooting at the YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, California. Uh, it seems so far all the facts point toward a, uh, a dispute uh, between a girlfriend and boyfriend and she shot her the the shooter shot her boyfriend shot a couple other people Um, i saw a report that said the woman was shot many times though so there there might have been uh, additional intended targets beyond the boyfriend we'll we'll let you know as we find out more Uh, but no one has been killed other than the shooter who took her own life and we have uh, very little in terms of specifics uh, beyond that so if we get more as we are on air, we'll certainly tell you, uh, we'll tell you about it. But in the meantime, uh, we just know YouTube, uh, shooting at the YouTube headquarters, female shooter, uh, dead, three people. Oh, I'm sorry. So it's three, three wounded, one killed. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll see what well, there'll be additional information coming out. I'm sure it's the question of uh, if it happens while we're on air or not, but we'll let you know as, as we can. Uh, so we've got an eye on that. And like I said, it was initially suspected that it could have been an act of terror, but that's been completely uh, wiped away. And people are saying, no, no, this is uh, this is a I don't know, it might be a crime of passion. I don't know what else. So that's what it would have been called. Right. When you have a, a, a quarrel between two people, who have a romantic relationship it can turn violent, it can even turn uh, deadly. So that's that's all we have to go on so far. Um uh, just as a, as a brief aside, I did see that the uh, Austin Police Department has said that they they believe that the uh, Austin bombings that we were covering here extensively a couple of weeks ago uh, were domestic terrorism. So just as an aside, I wanted to follow up on that. So we, we are going to talk about Christian privilege in a few minutes. But before I get there, I'm, I'm seeing that uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of pushback to Trump. Militarizing the border, they're saying, and you have to wonder, you know, what exactly are we supposed to do at the border? What would be acceptable? Are we supposed to set up a a welcoming committee? Are we supposed to just take in anyone who gets there? What should we tell the people that go through the legal immigration process and have spent thousands of dollars in many years trying to come into this country the right way? Sorry, you know, you're a chump. You could have, you could have done it this way. I just don't even see what the Democrat argument well, the good the good faith argument is for their side. I know what the real argument is. it's about power, and it's about establishing themselves as the political party in this country, not a party uh, among others or among two at least. sorry, libertarians, um, but the political party. Um, it's about power. it's about preeminence. Uh, but the more you look at what's going on, with the immigration debate right now, the, the more I think there should be real outrage from the American people about how much the media apparatus has covered up what's really happening here and what has happened in this country for for many years. And there has been an active campaign of disinformation from the media about the effects of immigration. what's re- And anyway, when I say immigration, illegal immigration. Um, what illegal aliens do to the country in terms of economic cost, in terms of of, uh, crime. I would note that there was this uh, pushback from when Trump was talking about this during the primary. People say, oh, you know, illegals are less likely, or they'd say immigrants usually, and then they play these games of, are we talking about illegals, are we talking about all immigrants? But, you know, illegals are less likely to commit crime than native-born Americans, which is, A consistent fallback position here, which is that immigrants to Democrats are better than Americans, meaning people that anyone who arrives in the country is just inherently, obviously better and more worthy than anyone of any race, creed, or color born in this country who's a citizen. Right. That's seems to be the fallback position or the their knee jerk reaction you get from Democrats on this stuff. And that alone is troubling, annoying and and somewhat uh, condescending but i'm i'm hoping the trump campaign i'm sorry the trump administration comes together on this and finally uh takes a stand here because if uh they if they don't just you wait and see what it looks like when you have democrats writing laws again in the legislature and, and a democrat administration in the white house i it's going to be am- amnesty is going to be top of the list look we're not even talking about getting rid of obamacare right now that's not even getting any discussion do i hope that there'll be something on that i I, yeah i'd say i hope i do not expect and i would bet against it between now and the midterms i would actively bet against the republican congress doing something on obamacare if if immigration is it folks okay maybe they'll try to do additional tax cuts or great immigration is it immigration and trade actually I see. I see here that the United States is now proposing. This is according to CNN. Take that with a grain of salt. Uh, proposing thirteen hundred Chinese, uh, thirteen hundred Chinese exports that could be targeted for tariffs. Hmm. This is expanding quite a bit. Here's where they write: The United States plans to apply the tariffs for about fifty billion dollars worth of goods to punish China for its theft of trade secrets, including software patents and other technology. A 25 percent tariff would be applied to all the products, according to the U.S. trade representative, which is a wing of the White House. So White House is saying, you know what, we're going to recoup some of our losses. We're going to get back some of what China stole because it's just wrong what's been going on here. It's just wrong. And I, I would note that no one disagrees that that's what China has been doing, right? or at least no one who knows anything. You don't even hear Democrats coming out and saying, "Oh no, you know, this is all this is xenophobia." You know? No, no, no. China has been stealing intellectual property for us at breakneck speed for many years now, and that just turns into economic advantage and prosperity for them. So, what the administration is saying is, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna start to recoup some of those losses. And even if that doesn't really work, because it depends on how this all happens, and we're talking about a very large, complex economic systems here, even if that's no good, at least we're putting China on notice. You've got to stop doing this. Uh, we are paying attention, and we aren't going to allow it. And this is an act of, of political will from, from this from this White House and from this president, because what he's doing is, is dealing with a problem that's been a long time in the making, And addressing it in a way that will take a long time to bear fruit, most likely. And getting a lot of heat in the process. This is exactly what you don't see most politicians willing to do. Right? No one will deal with the debt and entitlements. Because that's a long-term problem. It's been getting put together for a long time. And it's going to take quite a while to solve it and won't be popular. Trump is... Swimming upstream on this issue of dealing with China and its theft of intellectual property and trade secrets and everything else that it's been doing, which is finally an administration that won't just bury its head in the sand and pretend that this isn't going on and is willing to, you know, see some, uh, see some short term pain in the economy here. I mean, or at least in the markets and the markets have been getting whiplash, you know, the, 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 uh. The 401k, you know, many hundreds of dollars going up, going down. I mean, in totality, Uh, you know, not exactly the kind of thing that if you're Trump and you're hoping for the most robust economy possible, you're going to see. But the, the alternative is to just let China continue to steal our most sensitive intellectual property, steal military secrets, industrial secrets and do nothing and just suffer in silence. You know, talk about it sometimes. Have conferences, you know, uh, think tank conferences who
1: say, you know, maybe we could get China to stop stealing from...
4: No. Maybe we should do something about it. Which could also bring about some reforms with how China does business. That is possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but maybe the Chinese will lay off a little bit. Maybe we're not just wasting our breath on this. Maybe it's not worth it to them to continue to antagonize us through this continuous campaign of theft, which is what's going on. You know, if you stole information like this from a company and then use it for your own gain, you'd you'd be in all kinds of trouble. But if a nation state does it, we've been led to believe that we should just ignore it or it's not a problem for us. False. False. So, look, things are going to heat up with China in this uh, trade war, but... I'd like someone to tell me what they think the alternative is. If it's just sit around and let China pillage us constantly, that's not acceptable. Switching gears here for a moment before we get into the talk about Christian privilege, I want to tell you about G4 Tequila. G4 Tequila is distilled from a unique combination of 50% harvested rainwater and 50% spring water, and G4 brings bright, clear, crisp aromas and flavors of pure agave together. Look, I'm somebody who does enjoy... A little bit of tequila here and there. It's my favorite drink, actually, of the of the adult beverages. And I have a whole bunch of bottles of G4 tequila at home. I've got the uh, Añejo. I've got Blanco. I've got uh, the different aged varieties of G4. You should really check it out. I'm telling you, G4 tequila is absolutely delicious. You can find them on Facebook. Just Google G4 tequila and find the nearest dealer you possibly can so you can try them out. Delicious. You'll never think of tequila the same way once you try it. I've got it at home. Give it a shot. G4 Tequila. And we will be right back. Of all the pervasive stupidities, of all the uh, incorrect ideas held by uh, the academy and media in this country, the inability to understand that Christianity outside of the United States is very persecuted, that Christianity outside of the Western world is under siege, or remains one of the ones, it's just the most frustrating, because it, it, it's so clear. And yet, here we are, we have a story just out today that George Washington University, which is among the most expensive, or at least it was a few years ago, among the most expensive private, universities in the country uh i actually lived right off GWU's uh, or gw <laughs> gwu i got messed that one up but people know what i mean i lived right off the campus so i know the area pretty well uh one summer when i was a an overworked and underpaid intern in dc important life experience but they're hosting a christian privilege event this week because they want to say that 71 percent of americans uh have have a special privilege by being Christian because America is roughly seventy one percent Christian, and I just have to stop and and want to lose it. I mean, are, are they really just saying that any group in the majority in any country has special privilege and needs to check their privilege, or, or are they saying that to be Christian in America or in the West is to be singled out for special treatment? Because actually, the opposite's true. Christians are the only group among religious groups today that can be completely and utterly uh, piled on by the media, by the the Democrats, by the leftists. You know, you can mock Christians. You can, uh, you know, humiliate their traditions or try to. Uh, You can heap scorn upon them. And people will clap and laugh, laugh and think it's funny. Who was it recently? Uh a uh, behar right over on the view which apparently is still a show kind of a shock to me hello joy behar uh i think that was pretty good actually without playing an audio soundbite just going off the memory banks you know why do you love guns so much you're, you're a bunch of christians that's why Uh, she's among the dumbest people that I know of who's paid for her opinion on television. Among the dumbest. I I wouldn't say she is the single dumbest, but she's definitely in a special category. And you know I don't like to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest and accurate. Uh, But she said something snarky about, about Christians and had to apologize for it. Because guess what? Joy, a lot of your audience are Christians. And... While it's people always say, "Oh, it's America." Yeah, you're allowed to. You'll notice you can you can criticize Christianity. You can make all kinds of movies mocking Christianity, and you know you had that movie Religious a few years ago, and uh, all you can do. You know, Christopher Hitchens, someone whose work I've read extensively, even though he's an atheist, a, a militant atheist, really, uh, knew that he he was never going to have a problem writing about the Christian faith and mocking it and deriding it and Christians weren't going to do anything. They might disagree with them. They might say that he's being nasty and unfair. Um, but it was a different faith that would constantly threaten his life when he would write books. We'll remain unnamed, though, because, you know, maybe maybe it was the Amish. Maybe the Amish were the ones. I'm just, I, I don't want to cast any aspersions. Uh, but now we got colleges teaching classes on Christian privilege. I just wonder if they, because they are so concerned with oppression in the third world. I'm wondering if colleges and the media would spend any of their time explaining to college kids that, in fact, Christianity is horrifically oppressed in much of the world, that Christianity is punishable by death in some countries, that there are major wealthy Islamic countries in particular that ban and outlaw Christianity and that, at least on the books, they'll say, oh, we don't enforce it, would execute someone as a function of Sharia, as a function of their legal system, if they were to be an apostate, one who left Islam and became a Christian. No churches in Saudi Arabia, folks. No crucifixes allowed in public. No, no, nothing. Not allowed. No public religious Christian displays, period. It's true in some other uh, Muslim countries, too. By the way, the, the place that is uh, as a percentage, uh, the the lowest region of the world, if you break it down by continent and region, uh, the the lowest as a percentage of the overall population that are Christian is the Middle East, which didn't happen because of the normal ebb and flow of people choosing one religion or the other or migration. It happened because of extermination, an extermination that's actually still occurring in Iraq, that's still occurring in parts of Syria and oppression and violence and hatred and i think there were there was just a, a family of christians was just executed on easter in pakistan they were in a uh, in a rickshaw and they were killed four of them that's just you know another day in pakistan churches get grenade attacked in pakistan my parents told me stories about one of their parish priests in upstate new york who tells stories about how they have to be careful in Nigeria at Catholic churches there, or just any Christian church. Uh, there are a lot of Protest- Protestants there too. Um, but they have to be careful in any Christian church because of suicide bombers. Because they specifically, Islamic radicals, will single out churches for suicide bombings. And you go down the list. I mean, of course, Christianity is is uh, is oppressed and and is banned in North Korea, but any authoritarian status regime, that is, I mean, or total, I should say totalitarian, not authoritarian, I know, some of you say, Buck, that's not accurate. Totalitarian regimes, many of them are uh, either banned Christianity or just deeply opposed to it, and Islamic regimes are deeply opposed to it and ban it, and Christians are under assault all over the world, but yet our kids are being taught that there's a special Christian privilege. Um... This is all part of, of efforts to just delegitimize what is an a, an essential part of our history, our culture, and for a lot of us in this country, our day to day. And it also comes from such a place of ignorance too. They just don't know. I mean, I even I had a, a little, somewhat snippy Twitter exchange with an ABC News political analyst some w- while ago. Where I had to explain to him that Christians are actually, he was like, oh, it's so ridiculous that you're focused on Christians in Iraq. He wasn't even saying this to me, but I had to jump in and say, Christians are basically being exterminated in Iraq, you idiot. How much money does ABC News pay you to be an ignoramus? I forget the guy's name, actually, otherwise I'd call him out. But he's, he's like the head political analyst over there, and he's a moron. Now, I'm actually saying people are dumb on the show today, which must mean that I'm in kind of a snarky mood. But I'm only saying it when it's really true. I'm only saying it when it's really true. So, anyway, um, We're going to come back. We, we've got Andrew R. Arthur joining us here in just a moment, team. Um, I'll be right back with him. We're going to talk more about the border and laws. Stay with me.
0: The Mexican border is very unprotected by our laws. We have horrible, horrible and very unsafe laws in the United States. And we're going to be able to do something about that hopefully soon. Hopefully Congress will get their act together and get and create some very powerful laws like Mexico has and like Canada has and like almost all countries have. We don't have laws. We have catch and release. You catch and then you immediately release, and people come back years later for a court case, except they virtually never come back. So uh, we are preparing for the military to secure our border between Mexico and the United States. Uh, We have a meeting on it in a little while with General Mattis and everybody, and uh, I think that it's something we have to do.
4: There you have the president talking about what the situation at the border really is right now. We've got somebody who's an expert in all things immigration, immigration law. Andrew Art Arthur is with us. He is a resident fellow in law and policy for the Center for Immigration Studies, which is based down in Washington, D.C. Uh, Art, great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Always good to be here. All right. So a bunch of questions that I'm, I'm really interested in in what you can tell us about. Uh, first off. The, what are the weaknesses in U.S. border policy right now as a function of law in terms of this caravan? Because I think the perception is, and this is what I've got as well, is that if this caravan is from Honduras or El Salvador or a combination, right, we don't really know, but if it's coming from Central America and they get to the border— People are going to say, well, I'm claiming asylum. I'm I'm fleeing a, a, a violent country where I am oppressed and Border Patrol will take them in. What's the reality, Art?
3: That's exactly the reality, Buck. I mean, the the fact is that uh, in 1996, Congress amended the law to expedite the removal of individuals like this, individuals who are caught entering illegally, individuals who were apprehended at the ports of entry without documents. And it's called expedited removal. And the whole idea was that they would be quickly removed from the United States. There was a caveat to the expedited removal rule, however, uh, that if uh, any alien apprehended uh, claimed a fear of return and that they would be referred over to an asylum officer who would make a determination of whether they had a credible fear of removal or not. Now, the standard for asylum is a well-founded fear, which is less than more likely than not, but still, you know, a, a fairly stringent standard. Credible fear is lower than that. So uh, you know, if there's a likelihood, uh, possibility of harm, or that someone was harmed in the past, they'll pass credible fear, and they will be put into regular removal proceedings in front of an immigration judge. At that point, they, they go from Border Patrol who apprehends them, CBP, to USCIS, the asylum officer, to uh, ICE, detention, and uh, they get put in front of a Department of Justice immigration judge. So four different agencies get involved in the process up to that point. Now, the immigration judge, uh, you know, at that point, can release the alien if the alien is apprehended within the United States. Uh, ICE can release them in any situation. And unfortunately, uh, during the Obama administration, we saw the vast number of those individuals be released and disappear.
4: So the the likelihood here is, under current law, if this caravan makes it all the way to the U.S.-Mexico border, a lot of them won't only be able to enter the United States, they'll be able to stay. Well, it's going to
3: depend on uh, how the Trump administration responds and how the immigration judges respond. Well, let, let me
4: let me retract that for a second. They would have under the Obama administration certainly regulations been allowed to stay. So it depends. Then now
3: it it depends, and we're and uh, we're going to have to see the will of the president. But the president seems to indicate that uh, the president's indicated in the past that he was not. Uh, Afraid to use detention uh, More broadly than the Obama administration did And quite frankly it wouldn't surprise me If we don't see the vast majority of these individuals detained Until such time as an immigration judge Can hear their asylum claim And until uh, they take an appeal So generally it takes about uh, uh, Anywhere between a month To about two months For an immigration judge to hear an asylum claim And then the appeal itself Could take another two, two to four months So those individuals could be in detention for a lengthy period
4: of time. Can Congress just – why won't Congress try to change this law? Is it just a function of they don't have a supermajority and the Senate will will filibuster? It seems like having uh, laws in place that allow for a mass of foreigners to show up at U.S. borders and just say that they're claiming asylum is an invitation to the very abuses that we've seen.
3: Absolutely. And Congress needs to tighten up the, uh, the credible fear standard. Uh, And uh, frankly, uh, DHS needs to tighten up the standards that its asylum officers use when they find credible fear. Let me give you an amazing statistic, Buck, that 88 percent of all credible fear cases that are adjudicated are found to have credible fear. So 88 percent of those people, at least that's been true in the past, have been found to have a credible fear and referred over to an immigration judge. So that expedited removal process doesn't work in their case.
4: Speaking to Andrew Art Arthur, who is a resident fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies in D.C., uh, talk to me about the, the president's uh, sending military to secure the border.
3: Well, you know, there, the president has a variety of different options as it relates to that um, with respect to uh... the support that the military would give at the border they would probably play uh... primarily a uh... secondary role they would play a logistical role with respect to uh... border enforcement as you know, uh, but uh, just to inform your listeners, we have uh, a sophisticated ray array of, uh, of uh, devices along the border, including aerostats, which are basically large blimps that are tethered to the ground. Uh, they're all weather and can see people, uh, thermal uh, imaging along the border. We have, uh, you know, uh, sensors along the border to identify where people are, as well as cameras. And those uh, devices can be uh, monitored by the National Guard. We've certainly seen that happen in the past, Uh, or the military. And that would free up Border Patrol agents to actually make apprehensions along the border.
4: So what about Trump possibly using military funds i know we're doing kind of around the world here in immigration but since i've got you and everyone's listening i wanted to make sure we cover a lot of ground uh speaking of covering ground it's quite a transition the wall uh the president has said that he is going to consider using military funds for the purposes of constructing a wall beyond what was in the omnibus can he do this Well, it's
3: interesting uh, because people uh, forget the fact that that was actually how uh, the wall uh, began in 2006. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, uh, through one of its offices, actually did most of the logistical planning for the wall that was uh, completed during that period of time. And uh, Corps of Engineers and National Guard units actually used the construction of the wall as part of their training regimen. Keep in mind... That you know when you 're training to be an engineer, you need to actually build something um, and this was something that could be built quite frankly uh, you know a wall has or a, a house has four walls, a wall only has one, but it 's the same basic concept uh, that continued until about two thousand and eight now CBP actually paid for the supplies, but DoD paid for the labor
4: so the president can do this, then. I mean, I, you know, I, I just I hear both. I hear people saying he absolutely cannot. He absolutely can. Where do you come down on this?
3: Well, there are restrictions in the budget on the president's ability to do this, but you know, the fact is. That if you view it as a training exercise and you just happen to be building a wall in a certain place, that doesn't really uh, – that wouldn't appear to tra- to me to transgress uh, the restrictions on the president. Another important thing to keep in mind, Buck, is we're not just talking about you know a wall everywhere because, as you and I both know, the Rio Grande uh, is a significant portion of the border. Uh, levees are a core function of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. We, we can remember that from back in Hurricane Katrina uh, when all the fingers were being pointed. And levees actually function as a wall in certain places. They provide a, uh, a wall along uh, a riverbed uh, for flood control. And quite frankly, it would serve a dual purpose uh, in this particular instance if one were imaginative enough about uh,
4: drafting uh, the proposal. Kind of like a moat.
3: Kind of like about times negative one, exactly the opposite, but the same idea.
4: Right. Yeah. It is and it is and is isn't. I mean, we, we do what we don't. Um, but one more thing, Andrew or Art, I want to ask you um, if, if the president could focus on one thing right now for immigration purposes, uh, if there was one thing that he could really put the entire uh, efforts of the White House toward, well, what should that be?
3: That one thing would be uh, mandatory e verify the fact is that the vast majority of people buck who are coming to the United States are coming here to work uh to you know make money for themselves, make money for their families uh send back home uh and if you had mandatory e verify, which is possible where uh we could you know, where every employer in the United States could verify in real time the employment eligibility of new every new employee. It would turn off the jobs magnet, and the fact is most of the immigration problems that we see would go away almost overnight.
4: Andrew, Art Arthur, everybody, at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, for all of their latest research and analysis. Uh, Art, always appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you very much. Pleasure
3: is mine. Thank you again.
4: Gene, we're going to roll into a break here. We come back. I've got some updates for you on the Mueller probe um, and it's, its latest victim, or if you are a hateful never-Trumper, you're just like, oh, it's justice, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to give you that and more coming right up.
0: should have been the call that was made when Mueller was appointed. They, we should never have seen the appointment of a special counsel as the first step. First, it should have been done within the Justice Department, investigator general, inspector general, maybe Office of Professional Responsibility, maybe assign an existing career person to do it. Then, let's see, is there evidence of criminal conduct? We have to make sure we never confuse political sins with federal crimes. And I think this is going about it the right way, in a calibrated step-by-step way. I think it would have been... Look, the answer to having one bad appointment of a special counsel is not to make a second bad appointment of the special counsel. I'm against the criminalization of political differences, whether it's Republicans trying to criminalize Democrats or Democrats trying to criminalize Republicans.
4: I got, I got to agree with Professor Dirsch there. The Dersh getting it done. Um, there never should have been a special counsel, and I have been consistent on this one all along, my friends. There absolutely never, ever, ever should have been a special counsel. It it, it was a uh, a doomed. Well, I shouldn't say doomed because it's not about actually justice. It was, it was doomed to be unjust, but. The purpose of it is injustice. So it all makes sense. Actually, the purpose of the uh, special counsel is political. It is the criminalization of politics. And I think that the machine, the swamp, saw this all as an opportunity for, well, the system to strike back. And they had some people in the Trump administration that uh, were not wise to this one. You know, they didn't see this one coming. So I agree with Dershowitz, but you know, you got some updates here on on the on the Mueller probe, which I just want, I like to start some of our Mueller probe segments now with, there never should have been a Mueller probe, right? It, it, it's not something that should have happened. It is something that uh, should never have gotten to this point in the first place. But now we got someone who's going to prison. Dutch Harry Potter, I don't know if you've seen this guy, but that's kind of right. You know what I'm talking about. This Dutch lawyer, he's technically not Harry Potter. He has some name um, that is Dutch. What's this guy's name? I'm forgetting what his name is. Uh Alex Vandersvan. Kind of fun to say. Uh, not to be confused with Joran van der Sloot. Remember him? Natalie Holloway guy. Remember that? That whole thing? And I think he got sent to prison for a long time for a different I did. He's the other, he's a, a, a different Dutchman who got himself in a lot of trouble. This guy didn't do anything, I was going to say, particularly bad. This guy didn't really do anything bad. This guy, Van der Zwan, he's just getting, this is rough. This is some rough stuff here. He's going to jail for 30 days. This is how CNN writes it. A Dutch lawyer. I was going to try to do a little Dutch accent, but my Dutch accent is just a bad version of my German accent. My German accent is just a bad version of my Russian accent. A Dutch lawyer tied to former Trump deputy campaign chairman Rick Gates became the first person to be sentenced in Mueller's investigation. A federal judge sentenced him on Tuesday to spend 30 days in prison and pay a $20,000 fine after he admitted to lying to investigators. Van der, Zwan. Van der Zwan, who worked with Gates and former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort while he practiced law at Skadden, very, very famous international law firm, admitted to lying and failing to turn over emails to Mueller's team in February. Uh, so you got to think, first of all, th- this guy is a lawyer himself. Maybe that's why they came down a little hard on him, because why lie about he, he didn't do anything illegal. Why lie about this? He didn't do anything wrong until he lied. Now he's going to prison for 30 days. Now, look, I'm assuming that the prison he goes to for 30 days is probably not the worst. But but I can tell you, I know people who have, someone actually just recently told me the story of being being held, being detained just for 24 hours in New York City, and it's traumatizing. So you, you do not want to, people are like, oh, it's only 30 days. I don't think this lawyer, who probably walks around wearing uh, $3,000 custom suits, I don't think he's particularly accustomed to spending time in any kind of a federal lockup. So this this is gonna be rough. Plus his reputation's destroyed. And for what, everyone? It's nothing. Do we really think I, I mean I would love to have someone from the anti-Trump media have the discussion with me, although they'll never do it because they'll get they'll get buck slapped and they know it. But I would love to have someone from the anti-Trump media just just try to take the position that it wouldn't have been easy to get Hillary and Huma and Cheryl Mills and the whole Hillary email squad for some version of lying under oath of the course of that investigation if they had wanted to. This is where you see the difference between how Democrats get treated by the system and how people tied to, I don't know if one Zwan, what is, you know, he probably is like Dutch Reform Party or something. I don't know what his you know, political affiliation is. It's just... In Holland, I'm guessing it's a choice between a political party that's supportive of, of a huge welfare state and high taxes and one that's supportive of an even huger welfare state and high taxes, which, by the way, is what we're heading for in America, too. So I don't think I'm just poking fun without understanding that situation. But you know, I feel like at what point do we realize this whole thing is a farce? They're going after Van Der here for a process crime. Nothing bad happened. He now has a a felony on his record, probably has to, he probably loses his, uh, yeah, he loses his law license with this one. Um, And, you know, the guy's got a wife and kids. You know, there's real consequences here. You know, the little hyenas over at MSNBC and CNN, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, another, yeah, another one bites the dust. They get all excited about this. This isn't teaching Trump a lesson. This isn't getting even with the Trumpsters and MAGA and all the rest. This is just ruining some dude's life for nothing. But it's important for you to remember that because Democrats don't care. If, it, if they if they can tie it to Trump, great. Even if not, sends a warning to the others, puts them on notice. This whole thing, the whole Mueller probe is a sham. The deep state strikes back. Hour three coming up, team. Stay with me.
2: In the White House, we have perhaps the worst and most dangerous president. This president is the worst that I've ever same.
0: the worst president in the history. I would even argue that he is the worst after one year. Donald Trump is
4: the worst in the history of the American presidency. Welcome to our three of the Buck exit Show everybody. Uh, so th- there you had just just a a little little taste, just some bit of what you could expect. From the overall media sense of where we are a year and change into the Trump administration, they're not saying that the president is not so great. They're not saying that he has failed to make America great again. They're saying he is literally the worst president ever. The worst president ever. And when you sit here and you look around, you got to think to yourself, hold on a second. How can the media say the worst president? Remember, I'm not, they're not saying worse than Obama. They're not saying the worst one they can remember. They're saying the worst ever. You know, there was a. There, you go back far enough. There are presidents who were like segregationists, and presidents who were on the wrong side of the slavery issue. And you know, you you, you get into some of the stuff. You think the worst ever, and they wonder why we have a hard time. Uh, believing them and listening to them, they, uh, they wonder, why is it that we don't trust them? Um, and it's because if we pay attention to what it is that they're actually saying over time, you know, if you try to hold them to account for what their analysis... Because remember, they say, oh, we're, we're, just, we're just reporting. We're just reporters. If you look at what they've said in the past, you have to take a step back and say to yourself, wait, hold on a minute. Weren't we told by, and I mean by mainstream outlets, um, weren't we told that fascism was coming to America a, a little over a year ago? And and almost as bad as Hitler is what people were saying, right? Tr- Trump was creeping fascism in America. Here we are one year into it, and and you know what we've seen time and again? A president who, for better or worse, and I obviously think for worse, but a president who hasn't been able to enact some of his agenda because of a federal judge somewhere. A president who hasn't been able to enact an important part of his agenda because, well, maybe the Congress didn't want to go along. Notice how he doesn't do what Obama did, which goes, oh, i got a pun on a phone. I mean, here's the pun on the phone. And he just decides that he's going to, via executive order, push for policy that he couldn't get through via Congress. People say, oh, Buck, what about the wall and the military? We'll see if that actually happens. And by the way, if he uses his authority as commander in chief, I think that's legitimate. He's not just saying I'm doing this because I can do it. He's saying I'm the commander in chief. It's a national security threat. We're going to build a wall using our defense funds. Okay, so. But you, you have to take stock of this moment in time when all that the media has been telling you about Trump and the administration has time and again been, at a minimum, proven to be hyperbolic. And in, in many ways, uh, just completely and utterly false lies. Uh, you could say that, yes, in fact, it was a case of fake news, it has been again and again. Oh, one more thing before I get into I just want to follow up a little bit on the, on the, in a sense, the unintentional hilarity of all these massive media conglomerates that have legacy advantage over their competitors complaining about Sinclair. Oh, Sinclair Tribune merger gives them the wash. Uh We're going to get there in just a second. But first, remember the alt-right? Remember the alt-right? Wasn't that a thing at one point? Oh my gosh! The alt right runs the runs the White House. The all all oh, remember the guys the the losers with the tiki torches and Charlottesville. Oh, the Nazism is coming back to America. Well, what happened to the alt right? I, I thought the alt right was about to control the country. Now the alt right, you see, occasionally these little news stories about how they're like all thirty of them are squabbling with each other, and that a lot of it. Oh, oh they don't like to tell you about this. A lot of the alt right propaganda that was on the internet was being magnified by bots and trolls, which I would note means that it wasn't actual people that were necessarily sharing or promoting some of those stories. Right, Some of them were, but I'm saying that there's a, there was a magnification effect by bots, by trolls. And if you look at some of the Russian propaganda efforts in our social media, it was along the lines of the alt-right. But are we really supposed to be worried if, if Russians are tweeting out alt-right memes during, during an election? I think the answer is no. We're not worried about some Russian hackers convincing the American public that fascism is, in fact, a better political system. But we were warned so much. And I said this on election day uh, back in the day. I was saying, you know, this alt-right thing has become such a construct of the left. I mean, this is classic to what they do. And here we are A year in, and after they've been warning us, oh, the alt-right, and oh, it's so terrible. I I don't know, have you you seen a lot of neo-Nazi marches happen around the country? The the answer is no. Have you seen a, a rise in fascistic policy from the Trump administration? The answer is no. But, you know, when I ask that question, and we've been talking a lot about immigration throughout the course of the show today, when I ask you that question, there are a lot of Democrats who would point to enforcing immigration laws on our federal books as, as kind of like fascism it's kind of like fascism they would say that it has you know a, a hint of the racist fascistic tendency in it and you're like well you'll notice that democrats aren't willing to openly say they're in favor of amnesty democrats pretend that that we should have rule of law when it comes to immigration so are, are they in on this creeping fascism too I just don't want us to completely when, when you got Trump at fifty percent approval, higher than Obama at this point in his presidency. And let me keep it keep in mind, that's after Obama, with all the amazing story and you know, open chains and all that stuff, had spent a trillion dollars of stimulus. Right? I know that some of that spending still had to be rolled out, but you know, he had already gotten approval to spend a trillion dollars on all of his favorite, you know, pet projects of all kinds the Democrat Party. And you look at his his time in office versus Trump, and you got polls this week showing Trump more popular. And the media still says he's the worst president ever. What I just want to ask them: I want to enforce some standards of sanity here in America in the media. In what way is he the worst president ever, other than his personal style and habits, which sure they could say that's the but no person of any real. Thought processes cares all that much about that. Does it really affect you if the president is a little uh, gruff or a little rough around the edges with his language? The answer is no, of course not. So, in what way is he the worst part? The economy's doing great. Unemployment's super low. Black unemployment's the lowest it's been in decades. Hispanic unemployment's the lowest it's been in decades. Passing tax cuts. And quite honestly, doing a very kind of mainstream GOP playbook so far. With, with a little bit of, you know, populist rhetoric. and But, you know, all the things that Trump has actually done so far are, other than taking on the media, which I would know that's why they hate him so much. That's why he is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can answer my own question. Why is he the worst president ever? Because he has held the mirror up to the media and shown that they are, in fact, feckless little cowards, overwhelmingly. Not all of them. There are great people in the media, too, but Overwhelmingly. The mainstream media is full of feckless people with no integrity and a complete lack of spine. Um, So they're saying he's the worst there. I just want to know. And somehow the the alt-right has basically disappeared, whereas a year ago they were poised to take over the country. Or it was just being hyped and exaggerated by the media because it was a way of bashing Trump. You can pick which one of those is more likely to be true. I'll, I'll let you come to your own conclusion about that one. Um, but then uh, back to where the media is on, on all this stuff. Uh, Mika Brzezinski over at Morning Joe, she really is really having a tisk tisk moment when it comes to Sinclair and what's going on over, over there. Um, Here's the dangerous,
5: you, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, w- trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think, and that if, is the that is if our you, job. Yeah, if-
4: that is their job to tell people what they what they think.
6: That's their job.
4: You see, I, I'm not just coming up with this because I, I do insightful analysis here in the Freedom Hut. The reason he's the worst president ever is because he's taken on the media. That's why they say it. There is otherwise no, there's no objective standard for that statement unless it's really just about, about journalists who are whining about their lack of power, their lack of prestige under this administration. That's it. So it really tells you a lot about the profession of journalism at this point in America, doesn't it? It really is illuminating when you hear that Trump, sure enough, is hated by the media, not because of what he does as president, but because of how he makes the media feel. He makes them sad. Oh, makes them sad on the inside. Oh, we got more Mika on Sinclair. I'm going to want to hear this.
5: Those were the journalists who are the highest paid in the market. I noticed a lot of men who are uh, maybe in their 40s, 50s and 60s. Those are the highest paid journalists in the market by far, especially compared to the women sitting next to them. I can tell you that for sure. And they should know better. All of them should know better. This is a really embarrassing moment for journalism. At this point, we can't afford to... um, be anything less than perfect we have to try and strive for perfection and fairness every day and this was a massive failure isn't
4: it interesting that she's whining about the disparity between male and female anchors at other networks without knowing any of their circumstances the negotiations or anything else i think she makes half as much as bdi joe i think she makes like he makes five million and she makes two point something so why why is that okay at, at msnbc She's calling it out. And she says that these local networks that are owned by Sinclair, why is Mika, you know, this is just what you see, folks. There's no objective standards. There's no integrity. It's just people in the media. They are often the worst. They're like actors, except they think that everything they say is based in fact and that they're con- they're, they're creating a narrative for all of us to live in. But just start to think more and more of these news readers and and this the so-called mainstream media media as a bunch of whiny, self-indulgent actors, and everything else will make sense. We'll be right back. Hey, Tim, I wanted to switch gears for a second here and bring in our friend Tyler Merritt, who is the CEO of Nine Line Apparel. He is here in studio in New York City uh, making a, a rare Big Apple appearance. Mr. Merritt, great to have you here.
7: Hey, thank you so much for having me again.
4: As you folks all know, Nine Line is one of our wonderful sponsors here on the Buck Sexton Show, but... Not only are they all about America, freedom, and commerce, because we are capitalists here. It is America uh, still. But also, exactly, still got to make a buck. But you guys also do a lot of really good work for the community. Tell me about the Nine Line Foundation
7: Veterans Village. So our initial initiatives were to help the severely wounded veteran community, those who've lost multiple limbs, and how to get back to some sense of normalcy. Uh, Nine Line Apparel, we, we have a lot of uh, veterans that work for us, and it, it's really near and dear to our heart to give back to the community we once served. Nine Line Foundation really does focus on the individual efforts to get back to some sense of normalcy. And while we used to and still do uh, work with severely wounded physically, we're doing a lot more with the emotional, mental health care uh, and rehabilitation that's out there and specifically looking at veterans' homelessness uh, for the last several years, the, the, the number of veterans uh, taking to the streets due to drug and alcohol issues has climbed. And we've seen a, a, a uh, increase in the number of veterans suicide. And these things are linked together. So we want to come up with a solution and not just rhetoric of how might we be able to do this. Government's not going to fix it. Uh, A a lot of philanthropic organizations like the Nine Line Foundation, like the Gary Sinise Foundation, like Tunnels for Towers, these organizations can come together and and really do a lot of good for our retching community.
4: What are some of the actions that you take as part of Nine Line Foundation? What are some of the programs? Give us some of the specifics so folks who might want to get involved can understand what they'd be contributing to.
7: Absolutely. So we actually have no overhead. Uh, We we do focus on the individual at a time. So we have no paid employees. So donation dollars go directly to... Uh, the individuals in need. And and we focused our efforts on an individual at a time because we wanted to make a, a big impact uh, on on this community. And this is considered a hand up, not necessarily a handout. A lot of these guys, especially in the special operations community, they're not asking for help, but they really need it. Uh, you know, going to war and coming back with two fingers when, when you, you left with all 20 digits, it, it's a big change. And There's a lot that these guys uh, have to bring to the table. You know, just their sheer will to continue to be optimistic and motivate other individuals who are severely wounded, it's incredible. It it really does put you into perspective in life when you visit your buddies at Walter Reed's and, and... All they want to know about is, tell me about prosthetics. Don't tell me about what I can't do. Tell me about what I can do. So providing them a wheelchair accessible home, like the one we just completed earlier this month with Sergeant Eric Marante, it allows them that sense of freedom where they can feel uh, that new sense of normalcy return into their lives. We're speaking to Tyler Merritt. He's CEO of Nine Line Apparel.
4: They're a sponsor here of the show. They also do some fantastic philanthropic work, specifically in the area of helping our veterans, which we're discussing now. Can you give us a sense, Tyler, of, of some of the initiatives that you're either partnerships to help veterans uh that are coming up or things or events you're planning just give folks a sense of, of where some of these efforts are, are going to be in the months ahead.
7: Yeah, so anyone is in the the New York City area, um, there's a an event on Armed Forces Day at Mammoth Airport where we're going to be flying in. What's into Armed Veterans. Forces Day for those who are Oh, hey, I believe it's May 16th. Okay. I really wish okay. I had a calendar for me. All right, no. fair enough. But uh, it is Armed Forces Day weekend and there's two events we have going on. Uh, one we've we've done year after year This is our 5th uh, run. Uh, it's a 5K 10K in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, it, it's last year we raised about $75,000 for our foundation. It was a, a heck of a good time. If anyone's in the Savannah, Georgia area, go to nine line and you can learn all about it, but it's a, it's a night run. There'll be beers, there'll be bands, there'll be good festivities. Uh, and it's all for a good cause. And then in this local area in New York city, same day, um uh, partner with an organization that is flying in veterans from around the country to just congregate and meet at Monmouth Airport. So people with private aircraft, helicopters, airplanes are are grabbing a veteran and they're they're taking them uh, to meet in a central location. The whole idea, it's very similar to the premise of our apparel company. How do you close the gap between those who serve and those who don't? You know, the, the firefighters, the the police officers, military members, and their civilian counterparts because there's a big disconnect. That civil military divide, it's it's prevalent in the United States still. And the only way to get over this disconnect is have conversation. And that is what nine line apparel in general does, is it opens up conversations for those who've never served and, and for those who've served to kind of explain you know, why they joined and, and what it means to give back to your community.
4: And just for everybody listening, if they want to see more of what you're doing on the foundation side, what's the website, what's the social media call outs, what, what should we tell them to go to?
7: Absolutely. So nine NineLineApparel.com, we do definitely list all of these initiatives as well. But NineLineFoundation.org is where all the philanthropic activities uh, are centralized.
4: NineLineFoundation.org. Fantastic. Everyone, go check it out. I know veterans issues are uh, absolutely crucial to folks listening to this show and uh, you have a really great opportunity to do something good to help out, uh, to help our veterans, and also to have some fun in the process. If you can make your way down for this uh, 10K, 5K in Savannah and and some of the other events, that will be up there. So do check it out. Tyler Merritt, CEO of Nine Line Apparel Company. Great to
7: have you, my friend. Thanks for visiting in New York. Uh, We like seeing you up north. Hey, thank you very much. I'm going to have to go head back to that 70-degree weather now.
4: All righty. Team, we're going to roll into a quick break. We'll be right back. Many of you know I'm not somebody who gets all that excited about polls.
7: You guys are down. And it makes sense that there would... Says who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Polls.
4: (laughs) I gotta admit, that's... uh, Says who? Polls. Says who? That's one of my favorite... That was Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. One of my favorite exchanges to the entire election campaign. Says who? And by the way, he was right because the polls were wrong. But nonetheless, it's just kind of a fun one. I don't get that excited about polls. Sometimes, though, they do give you a snapshot of something that's worth uh, discussion that doesn't have to do with an election. And I saw this on Pew Research uh, today. Twenty five percent of American adults haven't read a book in whole or in part in the last year in any form. Now, I just want to say that that doesn't mean that those people necessarily aren't reading. Most of us are reading all the time. But I would put out there, and this is a reminder for me as well, even if you're someone who reads a lot of newspapers and is just reading in your day-to-day life, books are a special category. It really is worth it to spend some of your time working through An actual book. I force myself to do this. I have several books that I keep on my bedside table, so that way I can change it up depending on what I feel like. And also, I have a Kindle that I'm pretty obsessed with uh, because it allows me to highlight as well as uh, do some other things. I can look up words. So, for example, there will be no mixing up of archaic and anarchic. And I'm also in the habit now, and I wish I had started it years ago of forcing myself is too strong but making a point of reading books that you know we all know what the plot line is we all have heard of them we've all read them in the or we've all been told about them in the past but never actually got assigned uh, so for example right now i'm reading uh, mary shelley's frankenstein which some people think is one of the great novels of all time it certainly is a groundbreaking work in the genre of what would become science fiction although I gotta tell you I'm much more a Bram Stoker's Dracula guy I'm just not as excited about Frankenstein Shelley's uh, writing is is a little more dense it's a little harder for the modern uh, eye to get through I know people will say the language is beautiful and it, Dracula almost reads like a screenplay it, it holds up so very well and I only read Dracula last year. So I'm going back and reading books that we all know and have heard of, but haven't necessarily read. So that's something that I'm, I'm allowing myself to do, giving myself the space to do it. And I have to tell you, it's great. Um, I, I'm somebody who went years uh, without reading anything that was outside of the nonfiction realm. I just didn't, I, I had this idea in my head I don't have time for novels. I got to say now I, I make time for novels, not exclusively, but I will at least have one piece of fiction that I'm writing at any given or sorry, reading at any given time. And I even went through a period when I was in the government where I have to tell you, I feel like I just stopped reading books. Now, I didn't stop reading. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. I was reading eight hours a day for my job. I mean, that was my primary job in the government was just to constantly read. But the same way that I have an affinity that I've talked to you all before on this show about where I like actual physical books and to have them and to be around them. And there's now research that shows that just having books in the home and being around books has positive effects, makes you want to read more, makes you think about what's in the books more. Well, this is a a constant effort on my part to try and honestly expand my horizons and expand my uh, my reading list I think one thing I I will do this week is post online the last uh, five or six books that I've read on my Kindle because that's kind of a a fun way I think of sharing so I'll do that on facebook.com slash Buck Sexton I think that's a a fun way to share with all of you what, what I'm up to in the realm of reading but I say this, you know, I saw this Pew poll and I don't say, oh, everyone needs to read books in any kind of a self-congratulatory tone. I have to remind myself. I get so caught up in my other work and and particularly reading editorials and newswire and all the stuff that comes in the news cycle that I don't really allow myself the time. And now I've got into a pretty solid habit of I fall asleep reading every night. Now, some people say it's bad for your eyes and some people will say that it's not uh necessarily the most conducive for romance but I find that it's a good way to relax my mind and and at night I read things that aren't generally speaking aren't tied into what I'm doing for work I just read things to read them before I go to sleep I I really like it and I just would say that I, I think it's one of the most important skills in life and for those of you who have children who you still have the ability to uh Give suggestions to, or, or try to guide. the The habit of reading is up there with being on time and you know, personal cleanliness. Uh, you know, personal hygiene. Uh, reading is is a, really a critical life skill, and that there are twenty five percent of U.S. adults who haven't read a book in the last year. Look, I, I know a lot of them are already reading for other things they do. Um, a lot of them are just super busy with life. I understand it, but. The same way that we got to make time for certain things, I think each and every one of us needs to make time for books. Um, Not a lot, not, and they don't have to be dense. You don't have to sit around and read the, you know, the Brothers Karamazov or A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich or something. You know, it doesn't have to be the Gulag Archipelago. Notice I'm really going after the the Russian authors here. Uh, You can just read whatever you feel like reading. But a book is different than a magazine article, a book is different than. What you're going to pick up in a newspaper, just the mindset, the narrative, and I think the effect that it has on your on your thinking and the way that your brain is processing is just it is different. So that was what I was. That was what the Pew article or the the Pew poll made me think about today. And I wish I liked Frankenstein more than I do. I can tell you all. Go read if you've never done it before. Read Bram Stoker's Dracula. But Frankenstein, it's one of these books where. I'm kind of reading it to say that I've read it. You know what I mean? So I can say I've been there. I'm just not. Buck is not impressed. That's my review. All right, we got a roll call coming up, team. So stay with me. All right, we've got a lot of great messages in the Freedom Hut today. So let's get to it.
0: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call.
4: Like I said, lots of great messages to get to. And so here we go. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you have thoughts to share and if it sounds like I am stalling right now, I am because my computer is frozen. So there is that. But I'm about to get into it. Live radio. You got it. The show show must go on just because just because. Okay, there we go. Whew. Good to go. Um, Let's get into it. First up here, we have Mike who writes, Buck, the Memphis Belle was is a B-17 bomber. Currently, it's being restored and will be on display this summer. Love the show and your commentary on Fox News. Keep it up. Shields high, Mark. Well, Mark, thank you very much. Kind of you to say. And I just realized that I read the wrong name there. Mike, thank you very much. Gosh, Buck, get it together. Sorry about that, Mike. It's okay, though. People call me Bob all the time. I go into Starbucks and I'm always B-U-C-K, Buck. And then sure enough, Bob, Bob. My name is not Bob. Not that there's anything wrong with Bob. It's a nice name. Uh, next up, we get Taylor, who writes the following... Uh, Buck, your backup beeper noise is the same voice for Hillary, and they're both equally wretched. By the way, is that butter dripping off this photo of a steak, you might ask? Damn right it is. It's great on salmon also. Why not? Uh, Butter is, I think, good on almost anything. So, Taylor, you have a point there, my friend. Appreciate it. Uh, Next up is Cheryl. She writes, Sacramento police chief, releases video of shooting within days for transparency. Immediately, the protests started and they stopped traffic on the freeway as well as jumping on cars in downtown Sacramento. They've interrupted NBA Kings games at least twice, disrupted public hearings regarding community grievances and recommendations. They say they will not stop until the police responsible for the shooting are convicted. Uh, this is in response to the St- uh, Stefan Clark shooting I would. I watched the video, and and here's what I here's what I can say on the Stefan Clark shooting. It's dark. You got law enforcement saying, "Let me see your hands." You got a guy who's running around in backyards and and tr- clearly trying to evade police. He was on his grandmother's property when he was shot, though, so he wasn't actually trespassing at the time he was shot. And it looks like uh, one of these terrible accidents where law enforcement believed he was a threat under the circumstances. It was dark out. It's tough to see. And if they feel like he didn't show his hands, they, they pulled and they, they drew down, they fired him. Now I know this is a tough area though, because I can understand for people who are more skeptical than I am of law enforcement, they say, so all a cop has to do is, is yell, you know, put up your hands and then shoot you. And even if you've shown no threat and don't have a weapon, that's fine you know this is where if the officer believes that he or she uh faces you know is in is in danger essentially is in a uh, mortal or severe physical danger they can use lethal force uh in the video they yell gun 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 and start shooting so uh, you know the assumption is that they saw a gun right i, I don't think that these officers uh, i'd be willing to to bet uh, quite a lot that these officers didn't go to work that day thinking, well, let me just shoot somebody. It's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough case. It's a tough case. I don't think the law enforcement officers meant, meant to do anything wrong. And I think by the book, in terms of the procedures, I don't think they'll be found to have done anything wrong. But I also understand the sensitivities here. Uh, a young man was killed who wasn't actually hurting anyone and didn't, didn't actually pose a threat. There may have been a perception of a threat but didn't pose a threat to anyone. So it's a a very sad circumstance. Now, as to all the protests, there's a lot of people who are, I think, upset about it. I think there's also a lot of people who view this as an opportunity to push a political agenda, which would not be surprising, given what we have seen in the uh, days and weeks following the Parkland school shooting. Uh, So, Cheryl, thank you very much for your note. Uh, Next up, we have Lauren She writes, Last Man Standing is the best. Just listened to yesterday's show and wanted to second the opinion. P.S. I think you referenced Crazy Stupid Love the other day with the Steve Jobs New Balance shoes thing, and I was dying laughing. Lauren, that is true. That is true. I was, in fact, referencing uh, that line from Crazy Stupid Love where uh, the guy who plays, gosh, he's from The Office. I'm blanking on his name right now. Very well-known actor. Uh, Carell, Steve Carell, is playing the kind of, you know, divorced dad or separated dad. And he wears the New Balance sneakers with the suit. That was a reference to that. So Lauren got me. See, Lauren didn't just it's not an action movie quote. That's just a movie quote. That's the next level. But I think we're going to open it up, by the way, to I feel like we've kind of plumbed the depths of action movie quotes for the foreseeable. And so we may switch it up and go into comedy movie quotes Friday or just, you know, general movie quote Friday I got big plans, team. I got big plans. Uh, Next up, Robin. She writes, it was... Oh, Robin was out at WoWo. She wrote the following. Uh, This was in Fort Wayne, Indiana last weekend. Uh, It was so gracious of you to give us your time today. We are praying for you to have safe travels and a glorious, blessed Easter. Uh, I will work on developing DSM criteria for Trump delusion disorder. May I suggest you call it Trump defiance disorder similar to oppositional defiance disorder. So Robin is a trained psychologist, and uh, I told her when I met her at the WoWo event that I wanted to do more research into the real underlying science of Trump, uh, Trump delusion disorder or Trump derangement syndrome uh, because I think it's a real thing. <laughs> I think it's actually a, a form of mental illness now. I don't think that it's just a way of being snarky about your uh, political you know, uh, opponents. Uh, but Robin, thank you so much. Lovely to meet you and your family. Uh, and God bless. All right. We have Eric who writes Is this where we send stuff for roll call? <laughs> Love your show. Great voice. And obviously, it is, Eric. Amazing analysis and spot on Hillary impressions. They get me every time. I routinely share links to your podcast with my 5,000 Facebook contacts, hoping to get more people addicted. The only thing you've ever been incorrect about is J.J. Abrams, who is by no means overrated. Anyway, you completely rock, and we very much appreciate the amazing job you're doing. Your listeners get more bang for the buck, as it were. Shields high, Eric. Well, Eric, first of all, thank you so much for your very kind note. And look, it's cool that you're wrong about J.J. Abrams, but I'm so glad that we agree on everything else. You know, we kind of be boring friends if we thought the same about everything. Right. So it's good that we have a little bit of of a difference here. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And next up is, wait, hold on a second. Sorry. Once again. Oh, here we go. Um, we have Michael, who's writing in to tell me, uh, what was this? Um, oh, no, a lot of things. Michael, I got to I got actually read through this before I can give you a real answer. Uh, next up, Larry, he writes, hey, Buck. I've been traveling for the last few weeks and I've missed most of the podcasts. Can you please give me a rundown of your shows for the past three weeks? Uh, Larry in Rhode Island. Um, Larry, they were amazing shows with tremendous depth of knowledge. Uh, they were heartfelt. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll, you know, download the podcast. You'll see. So go check it out. Uh, Jeremy. Yeah, one more here for Jeremy. Listening to the podcast from last night, we need more John Oliver impressions, along with Hillary and Commie Bear, maybe all three having a drink together at a bar. Shields high, Jeremy. I'm glad you're... John Oliver? You know, it's like, you can just make jokes like this all the time, and Americans who think they're sophisticated will laugh at it, because it's so funny, because he sounds so funny. Oh, isn't that right? Ugh. He's actually not funny. So there's that. I'm going to close it up here, team. Jeremy, thank you for the message. Got to shut down the Freedom Hut for the night. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, shields high.